So we're in the very end of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read the passage? Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But, Jonah, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So we have come to the conclusion of Jonah, the only prophetic book that's more about the author than it is about the author, the prophet's message, more about the prophet than it is about the prophet's message. We have seen the patience and grace of God on the Ninevites, but especially seen grace and mercy upon Jonah. And, and perhaps you've been able to relate your old nature to Jonah's old nature. Last week, we left Jonah angry with God about being merciful to Nineveh and hoping that God might change his mind and just blast him. But Jonah's about to learn a major lesson. Verse 6 again, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceeding glad because of the plant. So this is the first time in the whole book of Jonah that we read of Jonah being exceeding glad, being pleased. Verse, uh, one, verse uh, 1 in this passage, in this chapter, tells us that Jonas was exceeding angry. In Hebrew, it can also mean to be hot. It's that, that word we talked about before, ra'ah. It can be bad. We've translated it before as bad. And it was hot there in that particular area. And so he's sitting out there in the desert. He's made his little booth, and he's exceeding angry, and he's hot, and he's hoping for the lightning bolts to start flying. And so he's hot in two different ways. He has, he has worried about the souls of Nineveh, that, that they might turn from their wickedness and end up being an enemy of Israel. And the Lord set about to relieve him of both forms of being hot, or the word sometimes translated evil. The first was his physical condition. Now, when you consider that 120,000 souls in their destruction, what's a day in the sun, no matter how hot it is? But the plant relieved Jonah of his discomfort. 
The word discomfort is that is that same word, ra, uh, just used in another form, sometimes translated as evil or trouble. To Jonah, the condition of sitting in the heat with only that partial shade was troublesome or discomfort because that area often reaches 110 degrees. It's a lot like the temperature you'd find in Phoenix in the summer. And if the east wind is blowing, it's particularly miserable and extremely dry. The author uses that word ra, evil, like we would use it in a pun. He's used it so many different times in, in these chapters throughout Jonah. Jonah's hot-headed, uncomfortable condition was evil. That sentence would use the word ra three times. He was being selfish. His up and down emotional state was a sign of him always wanting what would please him and really no one else really mattered. He didn't say he was happy when delivered from the fish or when the message was received by the Ninevites, but now a little plant makes him exceeding happy. This account is so encouraging because we see how rebellious and selfish Jonah was and yet, God is so patient with him. God worked through him despite of his weaknesses. All the while, God is maturing him and changing the way he understands God and understands his situations. Then thankfully, that is how God works with us as well. Hallelujah. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? The word for the plant here also means nauseous. It comes from a root word that means to vomit. We saw that at the end of chapter 2 when the fish vomited him up on the shore. The seed, that particular plant, the seed and its stalk contain ricin. You've heard of that deadly poison. The pollen is highly allergenic, but the leaves are quite large. The smaller ones are like six inches. And they provide shade and for Jonah that Jonah, Jonah was longing for. And this plant is common along the shores of the Mediterranean, but it's not found in Nineveh. So the same action of God that made that fish, and we use the word appointed, which also means prepared, um, is translated now to uh, have, have prepared this plant for Jonah. In other words, he chose this particular uh, created thing for this particular purpose, just like he prepared the fish for that specific purpose. The plant grew at a supernatural rate and covered Jonah's booth, which further shaded him. And there's the transpiration from the leaves that would further cool his little shelter. And it probably, I would guess it reminded Jonah of the fact that the children of Israel during the wandering were provided shade from the cloud that led them through the wilderness. And it may have inspired in Jonah kind of a, yeah, we're God's chosen people. And God's just reaffirming that I'm right to be mad at those Gentiles and wish they were destroyed because we're special and they aren't. But the next morning is gonna change his tune. The fact that the noxious plant was a blessing reminds us that throughout Scripture, what first appears to be evil 
is used by God for a blessing. Some examples are Joseph being sold into slavery and the end resulting in the salvation of his family. Jesus rebuked to the Sidonian woman, resulting in her expressing faith that caused her daughter to be healed. Or the demoniac being told he couldn't follow Jesus only to go back and testify and end up at the feeding of the 4,000. Paul being imprisoned, having time to write the letters that have blessed the church ever since. But the ultimate example is Jesus' crucifixion, resulting in victory over death and hell. That noxious plant relieved Jonah of his discomfort. And for that plant, and perhaps what it seemed to signify to him, he was exceeding glad. Did he think God was condoning his anger toward Nineveh? Well, he's about to find out it's not so. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So just as God appointed the fish and the shade plant, so now he appointed or prepared a worm. God appoints blessings and things that remove blessings for our good. He's teaching Jonah that his attitude towards the Ninevites is not in line with God's heart. And while Jonah may have thought this vine was vindication of his prejudice, it's really God leading him into a revelation that his heart desperately needs. The vine Jonah thought was a blessing is God's tool to open Jonah's eyes to his spiritual condition. The worm Jonah thought was a curse is actually a blessing a blessed analogy that God was going to transform Jonah's attitude. You know, we often make the mistake of thinking something's a blessing or a curse when God's just using that thing in our life to teach us and to pull us out of our misguided priorities. We mistake what we think is a curse that takes, that takes away what we thought was a blessing when both are God's instruments to open our eyes to our sinful attitudes. Jonah should have been rejoicing that his message was received by the Ninevites and that they were spared from God's wrath. That was God's heart. Instead, he was rejoicing over this momentary vine that's here today and gone tomorrow. The souls of the Ninevites are eternal. The little physical things we rejoice over in daily life soon pass, and that's why we are to set our hearts on things above and not on things of this world. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, so we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The book of Jonah is this, as I mentioned earlier, the only prophetic, for prophetic book that's focused on the, uh, the prophet rather than the prophet's message. God is teaching us 
of his patient ways of dealing with our sinful nature. He's showing us through Jonah how self-centered, how rebellious we can be. And he's also revealing how gracious and how patient he is with us. I believe there's another picture of Christ in the choice of the word that was used for the worm. The word for worm in Hebrew is tola. The worm was used uh, in ancient times to make red dye. And that particular worm, would, would, it would climb up and attach itself to the stalk lay its eggs under its belly and die, its body protecting the little eggs until they develop. And it would leave a red stain on the stalk. What a picture of Christ who gave himself for us upon that blood-stained cross so that we might live. And the analogy not, might not be as big a stretch as you might think, for the Messianic Psalm, chapter 22, predicting the crucifixion details, has the Messiah on the cross saying in chapter 22, verse 6, he is like a worm, a tola, same word used for worm in this verse. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Just as God appointed a fish and a plant and a worm, he now appoints or prepares an east wind. It reminds me of the declaration from Job when his wife told him to curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil, ra'ah, trouble, hardship? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. God appointed two difficult circumstances to teach Jonah something very important. You know, recently I saw a political cartoon speaking of heat. And it's of these, two, I think it was, uh, you know, as you open up your web browser, sometimes these news things pop up and there's this cartoon. And there's these two hicks and they're saying, they're, the sun's shining down on them and they're saying, uh, I don't believe in climate change. And then the next picture shows the thermometer going up and they say, well, I, I, I guess it is getting hotter, must be the wrath of God. As if you stupid Christians believe that God has something to do with the climate. Well, call me a hick, because I believe it. And all throughout the scriptures, it talks about God controlling the weather for his purposes. In fact, he's sovereign over everything in our lives, every detail. There are no coincidences Incidences coincide because God had them coincide. Now, we don't always know why. We can only guess. And we often guess wrong. <laughs> Temperatures in that region where Jonah was can climb to 130 degrees. And when the east wind blows, and that east wind has a name, it's the Sirocco, Temperatures rise 22 degrees in a short amount of time. Humidity drops to single digits, drying out all green growth. 
And those who have experienced it say that it, 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 that this, it seems when that wind hits, their skin tightens and they become irritable. It contains constant hot air so full of positive ions that it affects the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters, causing exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. Aren't you glad you don't live there? There's another word play that we don't see in English. The word, the worm attacked the plant and the sun beat down on Jonah. Attacked and beat are the same word. Maybe if you have NIV, it's a, a chewed and blazed. It's also translated smite. And remember that for the conclusion. Another word similar similarity we see here is the sun caused him to be faint. It's an identical word that was used in chapter 2, verse 7, when he said his life was fainting away. And Jonah's writing in this way to remind us of the low points so we can learn from them. Jonah seemed to be the type of person who quickly finds something to complain about. It's a common human tendency, isn't it? I didn't hear any amens. But, <laughs> but under those conditions, I think any of us probably would have wondered what God was doing and why he would one day bless us with comfort and the next day remove the blessing and smite us with severe discomfort. That's the time when you need to ask God, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to show me? What do I need to learn? Now, Jonah was being a bit melodramatic in his request to just die. <laughs> One day he's fleeing from God's call because he might die, so he tries to go to Nineveh. The next he's at death, death's door in the fish and he finds faith and he's determined to live. His message is received and it so disappoints him. He wants to die. God provides the plants. He's exceeding happy. God destroys the plant and he wants to die again. You think maybe Jonah's a little mercuri mercurial, <laughs> you know, up and down? And we can't relate to that either, can we? We can be that way sometimes, hopefully less than in our past. It's a warning to us that we're not keeping our eyes on the Lord and on his promises, on what is eternal. It's one thing to be ready to lay down your life for the Lord and another to altogether to ask him just to take it because you're having a bad day. Maybe he didn't want to to return to Israel and declare how his message brought grace to Israel's enemy. And to those unbearable conditions, he just wanted it all to be over. But contrast that with Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. After being beaten with rods and put in stocks, they're singing praises to God. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes, amen? Yielding to our flesh and whining only makes matters worse. I have concluded, though, that there's something even deeper that's going on in Jonah's heart. I think he realized he failed God by taking that ship to Tarshish. And I think at this point, Jonah thinks he 
He just doesn't understand God. He may have thought as he did at one point in my life, how can I be used of God? I've made so many mistakes. I'll never be sure of what I believe. Kirk agrees with this summation and he writes, he was now ready to save his life, Ichabod, the glory has departed. There's no reason to go on living. How patient our God is to teach us and to direct us during our fits of selfishness. Our times are in God's hands. We have an appointed day when we will go home and we have to leave that day and that time in his hands. You know, the secular world denies that truth and they want to say we should be able to determine when we will die and how. They call it euthanasia. If we're alive, there are things to learn and service to the Lord that can be done even if we are bedbound or in prison. We underestimate the power of prayer and God will take us home when it really is better for us to die than to live. The decision is complicated by all the extreme life-saving techniques that are available today. We must use wisdom and seek God's guidance when deciding on extreme measures to live a little longer. We often say that a person passed too soon, but that's never true. God knows what that person's future would have been. And we say that we are declaring we know better than God. Taking one's life is saying that you know better than God. We're alive for a reason, and that reason is all about preparing us for eternity and bringing glory to God. I've seen paraplegics who have amazing ministries. So what do we have to complain about in comparison? Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So here we go again. God using questions to get us to examine our hearts and see our true condition. In the first chapter, it came through the pagan's mouth. The mariners on the ship told Jonah, what is this you've done? In verse four of this chapter, God asked Jonah if his anger over the repentance of Nineveh was a good thing. And now God asked if it's right to be angry over the loss of the plant. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? I believe that means he's angry over the loss of the plant and the shade it provided. And like a spoiled child, Jonah shoots back, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And I imagine even as the words came out of his mouth, he realized how pathetic it sounded. Sometimes the words that come out of my mouth shock me. It exposes me of being in the flesh, self-centered, unloving. And I try to take it back or explain that it's not what I meant, but the words are already out there. Now, Lord willing, our next study is going to be in James, who talks a lot about the taming of the tongue. It's hard to understand Jonah having pity on the plant. What he was missing was that shade it provided. Is he hiding his selfishness as supposed pity for the plant? 
Jonah thought God had been too gracious to Nineveh, but not gracious enough to him. And God is gently trying to have Jonah realize he's valued a temporary plant more than the eternal souls of 120,000 people made in the image of God. Jonah was angry over God removing the vine that mercifully gave him shade, but he didn't want to see God have mercy on those 120,000 souls. And God is pointing out the inconsistency in Jonah's priorities. What right do we have to demand that God should favor us and not others? Bringing it down to the issue of the plant caused Jonah's mouth to condemn himself. And often we find our expressions expose our heart. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 10 and 11, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up in a, into a being in a night and perished in a night. And should, you, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So God sums up the lesson in these verses. Jonah valued the plant, though he had no part in how it provided shade for him. The plant was temporal, here today, gone tomorrow, and Jonah wanted it to live and was furious when it died. Should God not have pity on the repentant people of Nineveh, 120,000 eternal souls? Now that expression, not knowing the right hand from the left, was a Hebrew term for not having learned moral values. In other words, they were not taught God's laws. And a lot of their sin, they just didn't know better. We often expect too much from those who don't know the Lord. Why would they not practice immoral behavior? I think that's the way we need to look at it. They don't know any difference. They live in the flesh. Their conscience may bother them, but they easily justify it in their own minds. We should not feel anger when an unbeliever mocks us or calls us ignorant or tries to cheat us or steal from us. That's what immoral people do. They're, they do not know their right hand from their left. Pray that they will recognize that a day of judgment is coming and repent. Have pity on them because they don't know any better. They make their lives miserable and they don't even realize they're enslaved to sin. Now you might ask why God mentions the cattle. That was their most valuable possession. The cattle served them. And if the Ninevites converted, then the cattle would be used to serve God. The Proverbs tell us that a righteous man regards the life of his beast. In other words, he takes good care of his animals that are creations of God. Now, this was a radical message at this particular time in Israel's history. It'd be another 400 years before they realized that telling Gentiles about the God of Israel was an honorable thing to do and would be pleasing to God. While the main message is the nature of man that we see in Jonah, and the grace and, grace and patience of God in dealing with us, 
The secondary message is that God loves the world. That's why he sent his one and only son. Repentance alone did not save the Ninevites. If Jesus had not come and taken their sins punishment on the cross, repentance would have been meaningless. God does not despise a broken and a contrite heart because that heart accepts the forgiveness that Jesus merited for us on the cross. Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, re they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Why did Jesus use Jonah? Jonah was the first to see mass conversion of the Gentiles since the time of the Exodus. God had set in motion the salvation of Gentiles around the world. But I believe there's another reason. I told you to remember that word smite. Jonah was smitten by that Socorro wind and he crumbled. The prophet Isaiah, who lived in the same era as Jonah, predicted that Jesus would be smitten by God. Same Hebrew word for our sin and he bore up under it until our sin debt was paid in full how much greater is jesus than jonah he's a greater evangelist he took a much greater striking and prevailed because of his love for us may god help us take the lessons of jonah to heart and may he ever help us to see his patience and faithfulness toward us and help him love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.